Another tragic but familiar racist killing of an African-American man by a white police officer in the U.S. has sparked public fury over police brutality, uh, the subsequent cover-ups, the excuses, and ultimately nothing being done to bring these people to justice. Uh, We've seen protests break out across the country. Indeed, we've seen uh, protests break out around the world uh, demanding that uh, finally uh, officials uh, really come to grips with this and try to address these inherent injustices. So the question then remains, uh, from a historical perspective, why do we continue to see this sort of racist behavior? Is it institutional? Is it inherent? Is it within the fabric of American society? Uh, Are there things that other countries can also learn and uh, how uh, we can also uh, aid in these uh, continuous efforts uh, to find some equality in American society? We're very pleased to be uh, joined to give us that historical perspective. Professor Robin D.G. Kelly, he's from the History Department at UCLA. He's also a Gary B. Nash Endowed Chair in U.S. History Uh, at the university, joining us on the line right now. Hello. Thanks for having me. Professor Kelly, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, i got to say, as a uh, fellow uh, Bruin and uh, alumni, uh, it'd be great if we could do the uh, Bruin aid clap and uh, talk about how the basketball team has uh, not been doing well, but uh, unfortunately we've got to talk about uh, this situation, but really pleased to get your perspective on this issue. First question for you, Professor Kelly. Uh, The protests that have uh, erupted across the U.S. uh, after the killing of of George Floyd, uh, is it it different this time around? Uh, We've had protests after um, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, We've had protests after Philando Castile, uh, countless other uh, tragic situations. Uh, What is the mood like, uh, especially in California where you're at? Right. Good question. So um, the, there is incredible anger and frustration. But what's interesting about these protests, first of all, the epicenter is not in um, the traditional places you would think of mm. as sites of protest against police. It's not South L.A. This is really the, the area that's kind of high income, predominantly white um, shopping areas. Uh, in what's called the Fairfax District. And we've had, you know, multiracial crowds. And this is also very important. Right. Um, they're not predominantly black. We have um, uh, Latinx, Asian-American, African-American, white, indigenous people coming out in large numbers, a lot of young people. Uh, and they're coming out not only to show solidarity with a demand justice for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, in Ahmed Arbery, but also because the LAPD has its own history of misconduct. Right. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that people are in the streets um, demanding justice for Ezell Ford and Dante Parker and others like that. So, right. you know, this is what's been going on. It's quite, it's quite intense, um, and it's not letting up. It's not letting up, and uh, we, we can feel the anger, but we can also see that uh, there has been some uh, misinformation, some, uh, I think, spreading of rumors about how uh, these protests, uh, some sporadic uh, 
show of violence, uh, whether this is sort of an infiltration or sabotage by outside groups who have more nefarious purposes in trying to instigate uh, something to maybe uh, besmirch the reputation of these protests. But would you say from your observation, uh, the vast majority of these protests, uh, the intent has been peaceful? Well, yes, I think think the intent has been peaceful. Um, I agree that some of the violence because I live right around the corner from where the marches were. Mm. Some of the violence definitely, I think, uh, was instigated by people who are not necessarily part of the leadership or part of the organizations that, that put this together. Some, in fact, I, I believe, are um, infiltrating either as agent provocateurs or members of right-wing organizations, because that, that was their plan in the first place. On the other hand, um, there has been... Forms of sporadic violence, violence against property, which we should expect. In other words, uh, you know, just like you, you mentioned that there's a long history of police brutality, there's also a long, long history of opposition to police brutality. So these kinds of rebellions um, involving tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people um, over the years have also had moments of violence against property, not against right. people. But it's, it's really... I think it's important to make a distinction between the way the police respond. The only response usually is violence, you know, that is rubber bullets, tear gas, uh, and the way that um, protesters who are in in the midst of uh, just emotional anger and kind of moment of chaos take it out on on buildings, stores, and especially on police police vehicles, uh, uh, police departments, police precincts. And that sort of thing. So it's this kind of symbolic attack on property. On the other hand, there's one other thing to consider is that there has been looting, um, looting in, in our neighborhood. Right. And I wouldn't expect anything less, given the fact that we are coming out of really in the midst of a pandemic where 40 million people have applied for unemployment insurance. Uh, this is a, a horrible time economically. There's a level of desperation so some of the people involved in the looting are not necessarily protesters, but trying to seize the moment to take advantage of whatever they can get um, under the, these dire circumstances. Right. So it is a confluence of factors. You, you mentioned the the racist murder of Ahmed Arbery, the, the killing of George Floyd at the hands of a white police officer, the the uh, ridiculous incident in Central Park where a white woman was trying to uh, call the police on on an uh, African American gentleman who was bird watching uh, by, by simply just asking uh, the woman to um, put her dog on a leash. But uh, the, the, you address the issue of uh, rioting and. I'm, as a history professor, and you can help our Korean audience understand this better because uh, we've been hearing this quote quite a bit now come out, but uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the famous quote about the riot is the voice of the unheard. Uh, can you can you help understand uh, help us understand that from a, per- a historical perspective and, and uh, kind of juxtapose that with what we're seeing today? Sure. Um, Dr. King gave that speech in 1967 amidst a number of um, urban uh, interaction, Detroit and um, uh, Watts, Los Angeles in 1965. And so what he was trying to explain was he wasn't condoning the violence. Right. He was explaining why it happened. He's saying, look, you know, the language of the unheard is followed by a question, you know, what, what is America hearing? 
America is unable to hear uh, about the uh, horrible situation with respect to housing, police violence, joblessness, poverty. And so in some respects, he's arguing that these particular riots are an effort on the part of poor black communities, not all of them, because not even participate, uh, to try to bring attention to, uh, to their precarity. Now, the one thing I would add to Dr. King's remark is that for African-Americans, um, our history is, is our history with being victims of riots is much longer right. than the history of, of being rioters. And so throughout the 19th and early 20th century, um, what we call a race riot, whether we're talking about Cincinnati or, or uh, we're talking about Tulsa, Oklahoma, or we're talking about Springfield, Illinois, or Wilmington, North Carolina, these were racial pogroms. These mm. were groups of white mobs who would go into black communities um, on a small pretext, it could be uh, a rumor about a rape. It could be um, a black person being insolent, you know, or being disrespectful to a white person. It could be competition over jobs in the case of East, East St. Louis in 1917. And what you witness are massacres, literally massacres of dozens, if not hundreds of people are killed by white mobs. Um, so what we see after 1935 into 1943 are new kinds of riots, new kinds of rebellions right. that are uh, that stem from almost always police misconduct, and that take place in these kind of urban enclaves and these ghettos that are predominantly black. That's a that's a new thing in terms of U.S. history, you know. Um, so when we think of those riots, the ones that are racial pogroms, the ones that are really attacks on black communities, that's hardly the language of the unheard. Right. <laughs> that's the language of of the ones who hear all the time, suppressing others, you know. As we've been speaking, uh, President uh, Trump gave an address to the nation uh, in regards to the protests and, and the murder of George Floyd. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, the voice of the unheard, uh, President Trump really being the symbol, uh, perhaps these days, of um, the, the, getting the support of these elements that seem to be exacerbating the racial situation here going forward. I know a lot of people are not satisfied with the uh, district attorney deciding to uh, uh, level a uh, murder three charge, third degree murder charge against Eric Chauvin, the uh, police officer who murdered uh, Mr. Floyd. Uh, What do you hope to see happen? And uh, maybe more importantly, what do you hope to see for people like myself, for other people, uh, whether they are whites, whether they are Asian Americans like myself who who want to be allies? I know that being silent is being complicit, but uh, is there anything that uh, the rest of us can do to help the community? Oh, well, you know, um, I'll go back to the first part of the question um, and then come to the second part, which is uh, really about... um, Trump and what um, and, and whether or not well not just Trump but whether or not um, a murder recharge is sufficient. I mean because I think that's actually part of the part of the problem um, in the United States. It's almost impossible to convict a police officer for wrongful death. That's just um, I mean ninety nine percent of the cases of police homicides. Um, nothing ever happens. Only 1% um, lead to a charge, and of those that lead to a charge, a tiny, tiny fraction would include a charge that would be uh, associated with either manslaughter or murder. 
And of that, a tiny fraction are convicted, I think maybe six over many, many years. So what does that mean? It means that strategically, it kind of makes sense, if you want to win the case, to pick the lesser charge. This is the tragedy. If you, if you go for a murder one charge or murder two, um, it's, it's even less likely that you'll get a conviction. Right. That's, a, that's always a problem. As far as support, I mean, um, I'm so hardened by the, the diversity of support for, for these cases, um, for the continuing, um, to, to try to end the continuing violence directed at black communities, you know, and especially from the Asian American communities. It's interesting because, of course, one of the cops was Asian American. Right. But in Minneapolis, there was a very strong statement from almost every single progressive Asian American organization saying, he doesn't speak for us, we stand with um, black lives. And that's what I've seen. And I, and I come out of an organizing tradition where my closest allies were, you know, in New York City, for example, um, uh, you know, a- Asian Americans, you know, organizing against violence, which came out of um, uh, Detroit and it was based in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of work that has been done and continues to be done. Um, and what we need are more than allies, we need real comrades who understand that overturning the system of racism is about preserving uh, humanity. You know, it's, it's about black life. And in the long run, if we cannot preserve black life, then we don't have a future as a planet, you know. So right. um, I think that that's, that's where the future is and, and something needs to be done. And I'm actually pretty confident that, um, that more and more people are getting behind the struggle. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate uh, ending on that optimistic note and, and this uh, hope for solidarity among all races, uh, including Asian Americans, including uh, whites who are allied to the cause. And, uh, of course, uh, wanting to see ultimately justice done and hopefully some of these institutional uh, hurdles uh, that have been plaguing uh, American society for decades to finally be uh, toppled. Uh, Professor Kelly, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much for your uh, expertise on this issue and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much.